Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Well, hello again, y'all, and welcome back to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Jen Denton, and along with Pastor Jeff Cranston, we believe what the great missionary Hudson Taylor once said, there is a living God. He has spoken in the Bible. He means what he says and will do all he has promised. Here at Kitchen Table Theology, we are seeking to not only help you know deep, solid biblical theology, but to know the word of God and the promises of God that are given to us in his word all the while holding on to solid theological truths in your heart, soul, and mind. On today's podcast, we are continuing with the 33 things that occur instantaneously at the moment of salvation to every believer. Beginning with episode 104 or 104 or 104, however you categorize that, we've discussed and studied a number of those glorious truths. If you've missed any, we encourage you to go back and give them a listen. So, Pastor Jeff, how are you today? I'm good. How are you today? I'm hanging in there. I've got my Southern Pecan coffee, which I have offered Jen, and she has declined. Oh, your Southern Pecan. I thought you said Silipicon. I'm like, Southern, what is Silipicon coffee? Southern Pecan. Southern Pecan Should we go back coffee. and start this whole thing over? <laughs> no, I think we're good. I think we're good. You no, got I'm, your coffee? How's it going? I'm doing all right. Good. I'm recovering from knee surgery, and that's yes. going well. So, yes. But it doesn't stop... Well, it kind of did stop kitchen table theology for one week, but it, from now on, it doesn't stop kitchen table theology. So, yeah, I'm doing doing well. Hey, so let's let's get cranking here. So let let me ask you a question, Jen, and then kitchen table theologian. Let me ask you the very same question. Now, it's a pretty basic question. Okay. But do you believe God loves you? Do you believe God loves you? You well, can answer how. How, 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 how would you answer that? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, the great German theologian, <laughs> Karl Barth, yes. was once asked, what's the greatest theological truth you've ever heard? And this guy had like five PhDs, mm-hmm. spoke German, Greek, Hebrew, the whole thing. Brilliant theologian. I don't agree with everything that he wrote, but the answer he gave was what you just gave. Really? Yep. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Greatest theological truth you ever heard. Well, there's another researcher that says, everything I really need to know, I learned in kindergarten. Right. So maybe maybe yeah, that childlike that, faith is there for truth. you sell a couple million books <laughs> I that, guess so. that title. So your answer... Is yes. I think sometimes it's hard to believe. I think we get caught up in our own humanness sometimes, and we think, okay, who am I in the little speck of everything to... Um, to deserve, not that we do deserve it. That's where sure. grace gets all, mm-hmm. you know, intermingled in there. So, yeah. And your answer is restating that truth. Yes. Or that question as an answer. And then it's foundationally in the Bible rooted in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I recently read the reason I ask, I recently read a blog post by a pastor named Colin Smith here in America. And, and he shared in the blog post that a seminary professor Ask that same question, do you believe God loves you, of 120 seminary students. Seminary students. Seminary students. 120 men and women studying in preparation for full-time Christian ministry. That's what you do when you go to seminary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Aren't you glad you tuned in today, Kitchen Tail Field? (laughs) What wisdom you're really going deep today. (laughs) So how many of the 120 students do you think 
answered yes to the question, do you believe God loves you? Well, I did not go to seminary, but at my college, there was a seminary component. One thing I will say about those guys and gals is, man, they can overthink something. So I'm just going to go right down the middle. I'm going to say 50-50 on this because so 60. I think, yeah, I think about 50, yeah, somewhere around there. I think, I think some would say confidently yes, and the other ones would kind of try to talk themselves out of it on one principle so or another. So 60 cr- assumed Christians. Sure. Out of 120, 120 yeah. who are studying for their master's and doctoral degrees in theology, say, yes, I believe God loves We're gonna me. We're going to go with half. Yes. 60 of the 120. The answer is two. Two. Well, there are a whole lot of overthinkers two. in there, huh? <laughs> and the rest, Pastor Colin Smith says, gave answers like this. I know I'm supposed to say yes, mm. but, or I know the Bible says he loves me, but I don't feel it. Hor- horrible. Mm-hmm. Horrible theology mm-hmm. to base your belief in God's love on your emotion. And one honestly stated, I'm not sure I believe it. So how do we get to this point? Like how when we know the love of God, surely we every Christian, every believer knows some depth of the love of God. I mean, again, we learn it in Sunday school. We learn it at these these foundational areas. Well, apparently so, not. I mean, you would assume. So what was yeah. the disconnect there? I don't know. Why are you asking? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's where we were going. <laughs> well, I know this. The, the great preacher, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was the catalyst for the Great Awakening in America, mm-hmm. in colonial America. He used to simp on now. He was also, I think, the first or second president of Princeton. Mm-hmm. I visited his grave. Mm-hmm. And I was so looking forward to reading his tombstone. So he's buried in this above ground like vault thing. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, four or five feet high and it's got this law, big slab on the top mm-hmm. of it. Get over there. I can't wait to read what's on Jonathan Edwards' headstone or tombstone. Entire thing was written in Latin. So I, I have no idea. <laughs> you got what a your pocket there. translator? <laughs> yeah. Well, that was back in the 90s before that. Yeah. So Jonathan Edwards used a simple analogy to get to the heart of, of that, I think. He said, there's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet hmm. and having a sense of its sweetness. Hmm. And so by that, did he mean that you can know honey is sweet because someone else tells you, but you don't really know it until you've tasted it yourself? The whole yeah, I, I think that's taste what... Taste and see mm-hmm. aspect of that. I think that's what he was saying. You, you can know God loves you because your Sunday school teacher told you Mm-hmm. But you don't really know God's love until you have tasted mm-hmm. his love, so to speak. Well, I'm going to guess with that set up, we're going to be talking about God's love today. Yes, we're going to yes. talk about the much more. <laughs> the much more of God's love, of love God. today. Well, much more as I can say God to love me more. Would that mean that I need to do certain things to make him love me more? Because oh, I, Jen, I hope Jen, that's Jen, not Jen, where Jen, we're Jen. headed. I hope that's not where what we're saying I would here. Be, I would be afraid to head in that direction because you're seated within punching distance of me. <laughs> no, you know, one, one statement I have always loved, and I believe it wholeheartedly, is that there is nothing I can do to make mm-hmm. God love me less, and there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. So the much more... And put that in quotes. So, kitchen table theologian, just think of that, those two words much more in quotes. The much more love of God comes to us in part in Romans 5, verses 8 through 10. So, to get us, to get us started here on the right foot, how about reading that passage for us, please? But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? So there are much more said twice mm-hmm. in those verses. I think every Christian, hopefully, would concede that the love of God for those who are far from Christ is infinite, right? I mean, God, mm-hmm. God, we know God loves the, the sinner. Yet there is clear revelation that the expression of divine love for those who are saved is much more. Mm-hmm. So the argument goes that if God loves sinners and enemies of God enough to give his son to die for them, his attitude is much more toward them after they have been reconciled mm-hmm. and justified. Okay, so God's love toward these who are lost and without Christ is great, even infinite, Mm -hmm. and his desire is that everyone turn to him in repentance and follow Christ as Lord and Savior. But you're saying that once that transaction takes place, there's a sense of God loving us much more. But that seems to go against that earlier statement that there's nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. The the well, whole much more thing seems yeah. to suggest that once I'm in Christ, I'm loved even more. So what what does that all mean? You know, I don't like it when you <laughs> punch holes in these good things that I say. No, I, I, I see what you're saying. That's a good point. I, I think the way to answer that is to go back to what we often refer to here on Kitchen Table Theology in terms of things that are experiential and things that are positional mm-hmm. in our in our walk with Christ mm-hmm. and in our theology. Positionally, you know, in other words, uh, God has declared it so. So positionally, we are in Christ and his love is equitable, it's unconditional, and it's infinite toward everybody. Mm-hmm. Experientially, though, how that works out in our lives, once we are in Christ, we taste, as it were, the love of God like we have never before. So we, we're walking in the love of God once we're in Christ in ways we had no idea of before Christ came in. Does, does that make sense? Sure, but how about you give us some examples? Well, I can give you a lot, but let's just let's just talk about a few. We can start by being reminded that once we are in Christ, we are objects of His grace. Mm-hmm. And Doctor Doctor Schaefer points this out. That I, I love this. He said we we aren't saved into a state of probation. Mm-hmm. We're not <laughs> saved into a state of probation. Which, by the there's way, no ninety day trial period. No, th- no there's <laughs> yeah. not. Thankfully, and that. Probation is how I literally spent most of my collegiate career, and I'm not kidding you. Academic probation. I was on one semester. I, I came into college on academic probation, and I would go off the next, and then I would go back on. And I did that for quite a few semesters, which could also be defined for a couple of years. God doesn't do us like that. We are immediately brought into the bosom of God as those for whom Christ died and whose sins have been born are taken upon Christ and dealt with by our substitute. That's Jesus mm-hmm. himself. So we're objects of his of His grace. So okay. that love has something to do with all that, too. So you said there's lots of examples. That's part of the much more. Right. What else? Well, let me give us th- three quick ones. And th- there are more, but let's just stick to th- three more. So we've already said, I already said he's, we're objects of his grace. Secondly, we're objects of his power. We're objects of his faithfulness. And we're objects of his peace. 
And Dr. Lewis Berry Schaefer, as he wrote about all these 33 things that happened instantaneously at salvation, mm-hmm. this is this is from him. He he said these things. So maybe we'll just walk through that. Yeah, let's start with being an object of his power, the first one you mentioned. Well, that being an object of his power means that God works in us and on behalf of those who trust in him. So he has infinite power. I think, you know, if we, we've studied God, we know that he's infinitely powerful. And that power is actively engaged in the support and the defense of every believer. Mm. That's amazing mm-hmm. to me. God's power is actively engaged in the support and defense of every believer. And, and Paul hits this on the head in Ephesians 1.19. He said, what is the surpassing, and, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. So could he have used any more adjectives describing the power mm-hmm. strength of God? He says surpassing greatness, power, working, strength, might. And, and all of that goes toward the active, engaged support and defense of every believer. Okay. So we're, we're definitely starting to see the much more. You mentioned in addition to these first two that we are objects or becoming objects of his faithfulness. What does that mean? Yeah. And not to correct you, but we we become immediately at the moment of salvation an object of His mm, faithfulness. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not becoming that. We're declared that at the moment of salvation. It's not a salvation. process. It is a done deal. It's a, it's yeah. happens immediately. And now we walk that out, mm-hmm. and there is a progressiveness to that, mm-hmm. but that goes back to the whole positional experiential thing. Positionally, mm-hmm. we're declared an object of His faithfulness. This is so good. So much more... Limitless comfort is provided for those who recognize and walk in the faithfulness of God. We we have now, as a part of our everyday existence, God's faithfulness. And and faithfulness, you know, it's a twofold deal. We're to be faithful to God, and He is always faithful to us. Jen, Jen, you know I love a good story, and I have a what I think is a good one regarding faithfulness. Oh, I love a good story myself, so let's hear it. And it's even true. It's a true one? <laughs> well, great. Hit it. And it happened many years ago in America. And one night there was a storm and this elderly couple entered the lobby of a small hotel, asked for a room. The clerk said, we're all full. They gave him a little Joseph and Mary deal. We're all full, as were all the hotels in town. And he said to them, the clerk said, I can't send a fine couple like you out in the rain. Would you be willing to sleep in my room? I'll give up my room to mm. you. And I'll sleep somewhere else. And the couple hesitated. I mean, what would you and Fred have done? I mean, I would lie. No, 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 no. Like, uh, yeah. the clerk, <laughs> What's your room look like? <laughs> yeah, the clerk was very insistent. And the, the next morning when the man paid his bill, he said, you're the kind of man who should be managing the best hotel in the United mm, States. Mm-hmm. Someday I'll build you one. And the clerk <laughs> kind of laughed and said goodbye. A few years go by, the clerk receives a letter from this now elderly man recalling that stormy night and says, I want you to come to New York City. Mm. And a round-trip ticket was enclosed. And when the clerk got there, his host took him to the corner of 5th Avenue and 34th Street. Mm. And some of you who have been to New York <laughs> enough know where that is. There stood a magnificent new building, and that, said the man to the clerk, that's the hotel I have built for you to manage. The man was William Waldorf Astor, Mm. and the hotel was the original Waldorf Astoria in all of its glory. Now, this clerk's name was was Bolt, B-O-L-D-T. He went on to redefine hospitality. He introduced room service, 
He abolished segregated ladies' entrances. Mm-hmm. He had a senior staff inspecting the lobby round the clock, placed ashtrays in strategic locations. Before that, if you were smoking a cigar or whatever, you just flicked the ashes mm-hmm. in the rug. He insisted that all their guests must be treated to fresh flowers and a copy of the day's newspaper in their rooms every day. Every day. And his, his line was, make the Waldor so comfortable they will never go to another place. That's a good story. It's a great story. I know. You promised it would be a good one. But knowing you and your love of great stories, there's always a rest of the story. Kind of like a Paul Harvey moment. I'm waiting for that to come. What's the rest of the story? I feel like there's something else. Well, like every story like that, while there, it's mostly true. <laughs> um, and I'll hear stories like this and I'll, I'll dive deep. Mm-hmm. And... You'll find the real story sometimes even better than the one. Now, every motivational speaker in America has told that story. Mm-hmm. You know, you just stick by your, and you know, you're faithful. You're, you're faithful to your job and it will pay off for you in the end. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a clerk running a small time hotel and he gives, he, he, he takes on the role of the Waldorf story. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Right. But it's that story as I just told it is mostly accurate. But some of it's not true. Now, Bold, Mr. Bold did manage a tiny hotel. And yes, he is the man who invented room service mm-hmm. as we know it. But in an, in an obituary of Bold, when he died in 1916, the New York Times revealed the true story. And it turns out Bolt and his wife gave up their rooms. They were guests at a resort. It wasn't his hotel. They gave up their rooms for relatives of the Astors, unknown to them. Mm-hmm. And they had a sick child. Mm. And they recognized, they said, look, y'all need more room. We'll find another place. That's what they did. The child soon recovered. And later, the relatives of, of Astor persuaded him that Bolt was the man he was looking for to manage his mm-hmm. new hotel mm-hmm. in New York, the Waldorf Astoria. So it makes the story about 90% true. Uh, but yeah, that's how they met. And he did become the manager. And he kind of changed the hotel industry. Yeah. And I think there's unique aspects to both versions of that story. Yeah. But well, the true how- story, I mean, <laughs> there's still, go ahead and ask your question. How are we going to tie that into God's faithfulness as we come back? I like both versions of the story and I find value in both of them. But how are we going to tie that into God's faithfulness? I do feel like I'm rather a long way from where I started on God's faithfulness. But, okay, so George Bolt... got to reel you back in every now and then. George Bolt was faithful to his principles, to his values, Mm -hmm. right? He and his wife saw a need. They were able to meet the need. They did it. And his faithfulness to who he was as a man, to who he and his wife were as a couple, and meeting other people's needs, that faithfulness paid off for him in an amazing way. And with us being objects of God's faithfulness, it's a good reminder that when there is a need in my life and yours, God is faithful and he will meet our needs. Mm. So it is he, it's it's who God is and it's what God does. So much more includes us as believers being objects and recipients of his faithfulness, of his power, of his grace. Mm. So we're not only objects of his grace and his power and his faithfulness, but lastly, you said we are objects of his peace. I like the sound of that (laughs) in this crazy world and culture and circumstances that we find ourselves living in. But what's the much more of God toward us as objects of his peace? Well, here's where we're close. At salvation, positionally, declaratively, when condemnation was removed over us, 
You know, we had condemnation written all over us. God took it away in Christ. We received a stamp on our account that now reads, at peace with God. Hmm. Experientially, there is an imparted here and now peace that has been implanted into each one of us. And where do we get that from? Well, we get it from Jesus. He he told us that in John 14. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Mm. Now, he didn't say, I will give it to you. It's coming. You know, hold on. One day, mm-hmm. maybe you'll get it. No, I I'm, I leave it with you. So what that meant was when at the resurrection, at the ascension, when he left the disciples, when he left this world, one of the things he left behind was peace for his children. Mm-hmm. So we have that. Then he went on to tell us that we are not to allow our hearts to be troubled. Remember, that's the rest of that. Mm-hmm. Don't allow your hearts to be troubled. Nor are we to be fearful. That's the other part of the rest of that John 14 passage. So what's the absence, Jen, of fear and a troubled heart? Peace. Got to be, right? Yeah. So this is how this this is how the concept of much more includes his love, his peace, his faithfulness, and his power. And guess what? There is much more than just those things. Mm-hmm. So kitchen table theologian, may I ask you again, do you believe God loves you? And I trust you can answer with a convincing and unqualified yes, because we have been recipients of the much more love of God. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to remember that that much more, we'll go back to that verse that you just mentioned in John 14, not as the world gives. And I think that's where we get stuck because we, we want to, we want to have something tangible when we think about any concept, really. So when we think about love and our humanness, we think about worldly love, that conditional love. And so it makes you. it really hard for us to make that jump unless we see he is not as the world gives because he is not of this world. Exactly. Yeah. But let me ask you, what what kind of peace does the world give? Nothing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Temporal at, at best. Temporal at best. Yeah. I mean, I think the peace the world gives tends to be momentary. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have these moments I have them often in the mountains. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll just stand somewhere if I can just get outside. And there's this one little place that I stand at and I see it all the time. I have numerous pictures of it. It's a little valley. There's certainly, it's certainly not mountains, but rather steep hills come down and make this valley. And it goes down and then it makes a bend to the right. And there's more hills behind it. And then there's mountains behind mm-hmm. that. And there have been so many times where I'll, I'll walk outside. There's a fire going. It's 55 degrees. I've got a cup of coffee. (laughs) The mist is rising out of that valley. Mm -hmm. And there's just that moment of all is well and all is right with the world. That's just a place that I have. Mm -hmm. But then I turn around and go back to life. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's the world's peace. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful for a Your moment. Your phone's going off. The news is yeah. on. The, you know, well, you can't live <laughs> yeah. there with a cup of coffee in 55-degree weather with a blazing fire going on looking mm-hmm. at a beautiful view. Mm-hmm. You can for a couple of minutes, maybe even an hour. That's all you're going to get. Well, then we are. we have to be thankful for that God who is with us that walks us through. But I wonder that. if that, instead of me saying that's the peace the world gives— wouldn't it be more proper contextually to say, no, Jeff, you dummy. That's peace that God gave you <laughs> mm-hmm. in that. In the in, midst in that, of it. In the midst yeah, of it. In the midst of it. 
Well, goodness gracious, as always, there's a lot to unpack today. And as always, we want to thank you. We want to thank you so much for listening to Kitchen Table Theology. Please take a moment, if you would, to rate and review this podcast, including on Spotify and iTunes. It really helps new listeners find the show, and we want to spread the message of Kitchen Table Theology. And don't forget to check out today's episode notes as well. As always, thanks are due to our friends at Lowcountry Community Church right here in Bluffton, South Carolina, for making this podcast possible. Please head on over to jeffcranston.com for more information about Dr. Cranston, his books, sermons, leadership notes, and blog posts. And Lord willing, next week, we'll be back with another great episode. So there it is. Now go deeper. And until next time, always remember that the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's Word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.